continue our sermon series in 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I remember when I came to Christ uh, in my early 20s in grad school, that one of the questions that I had to start answering was, what, how do I now interact? How do I share this hope that Christ has revealed to me, share this love and this purpose that he's given to my life? How, how do I now bear witness to it in all these relationships that I have? Recognizing that all my relationships were very different. They were very unique. I had relationships where I functionally had less power, where I was under authority. And I had relationships where I had more power, when I was, I was in a place of authority. And the question that would ring in my mind is, how do I bear witness to Christ? Because each relationship is so different. The people that were receiving Peter's letter here in the first century, these were people that were coming to Christ. This was a very ripe time in the life of the gospel. You had adults coming to faith in Christ and then asking questions like, should I still stay in relationship with my master as a slave? That was chapter two. Or should I rebel and leave my master? Now you have wives in chapter three that Peter's addressing, these wives that have come to Christ. And their husbands have not. And so they're wondering, do I stay in this marriage anymore? My newfound loyalty to Christ, should I stay in this marriage? Should I walk away? What should I do? How do you bear witness to Christ in relationships and then on top of that, we see the emphasis of Peter in the past chapter or two, and that is the emphasis on conduct. He says in chapter two, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may glorify God. And then now in verse one of chapter three, that they, husbands, may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So Peter's describing how you bear witness to Christ without words, with your conduct, with your actions, in very unique relationships. 
So how do you bear witness to Christ without a word in your relationships? Well, recognizing again that there's two different kinds of relationships, ones in which you have less power, you're under authority, ones when you have more power, you're in authority over someone. We're gonna look at those two scenarios. So first, how do you bear witness when you have less power or you're under authority? Now, this was the situation of wives in the first century. In the Roman world, uh, predominant attitude was that wives were inferior. In fact, all of the address in the first century to household expectations of how a family should operate by philosophers of the day, wives weren't addressed. Husbands were addressed because husbands were seen as influential in a place of power, and authority. And so what you have here, actually, in this letter was something that was incredibly revolutionary in the first century. You know, this is a passage that in our day invites a lot of criticism because it comes across as enslaving, as oppressive. And it's ironic because the slaves and wives that received this letter in the first century were actually empowered and encouraged by words of Peter because he actually addressed them and he gave them more words than he actually gave husbands, which was one verse, verse seven. She said, well, how in the world are these first six verses empowering to someone like a wife in the first century? Well, let's first of all understand the situation. So look at verse one, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So again, apparently you have wives that came to Christ. Their husbands are not in Christ, are not turning to Christ. And then on top of that, this message that Peter has, winning them without a word, seems to imply that these husbands have rejected the gospel, maybe even have ridiculed the message that their wives are sharing, maybe even mocked the wives for believing such a thing. And so they've gotten to a point in the relationship where there's enough hostility from the husband that they can't speak a word of Christ. They can't speak anymore about Christ. And Peter's saying, don't despair, because you have something incredibly powerful, and that's the testimony of your life the testimony of your conduct and of your actions, that your actions proclaim loudly the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you have that testimony. And so in verse two, Peter talks about respectful and pure conduct. Well, what is respectful and pure conduct? He's gonna answer it in verses three and four. And it's basically submission that is born out of strength. Submission that's born out of strength. Now, what does that mean? Well, look at verse three. Do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. That word adorning means to decorate. It's what you decorate your life with. It's your actions, it's your conduct. Now, as Peter's saying that if you braid your hair, and you wear jewelry, and you wear nice clothes, that you're in sin. 
I hope not, because I'm looking out and I'm seeing jewelry, some braided hair, some nice clothing. No, this is why context is so, so important. This is why context is so important. So what's going on here that'll give some understanding to Peter's words? Well, wives in the first century in this Roman kind of Greek culture were expected to worship their husband's God or gods. In addition to that, it was expected that wives wouldn't have friends of their own. They basically would just tag along and be part of the husband's relational network. That was the expectation. And so the idea of a wife adopting a new religion and bringing it into the household, that was seen as almost rebellious, that it would disrupt the the ideal of what a household was in that day. And in fact, that's why there was so much pressure on Christians in these situations because they were seen as disrupting things. They were just seen as disrupting what was good for the household. And in some cases, when their religion or their newfound God, their newfound Christ became public, it could put their husband in a very compromised position as a man who could not lead his household well. Husband could be embarrassed. The husband actually could could suffer in the social sphere, not receiving honors or offices because of this. And so there was a real opportunity here or possibility that a husband could be embarrassed through what has happened. Now, let me go back to the do not, uh, or back to the external adorning. Now this can make sense, right? Because if you've got a wife who has come to Christ and her husband hasn't, and now she's going to church, right? Now she's she's going to a worship service on her own apart from her husband, and now she has fellowship and she's developing friends outside the home. That alone would invite criticism on the husband or embarrassment. And if this faith becomes public, now he's put in a compromised position. So the message here from Peter to these wives is, don't embarrass your husband, right? Don't disrespect your husband because you understand the situation that is in place. That's not how you bear witness to Christ. So how do you bear witness then? Well, look at verse four. Through the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. What Peter's getting at here is that even though wives were, generally speaking, seen as powerless or relatively powerless in that day, in that culture, he was telling them that they actually had incredible power and strength to bring respect to their husbands instead of embarrassment, and that that was the way to bear witness. So these two words here, gentle and quiet spirit, The word gentle is the same word that is translated meek in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. So when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that word meek is the same as gentle here in 1 Peter. Now typically when we hear the word meek, what do we think of? 
Somebody that me, is meek is, is basically a doormat, right? They're quiet, they're weak, they're, un, they're, they're not assertive. It's a, it's, a, it's a tragedy that that's the impression we get on the word meek because that's not at all what it means. Jesus was meek, but his meekness manifested in different ways depending on the situation. So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a tiny little donkey instead of a war horse, he was meek. But when he arrived in Jerusalem and went into the temple and cleared the temple, he was also being meek. Say, wow, those are two completely different behaviors. Well, here's what the word meek means. It means not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So a meek person can be very assertive. They just don't insert themselves. A gentle and meek person can be strong and assertive. They just don't use their strength to elevate themselves. They use their strength to promote the cause of others. That's what it means to have a gentle or a meek spirit. And that's what Peter is calling for here. He says, wives, use your strength to respect your husbands, to build them up, not to embarrass them. E.V. Hill was a pastor of a church in Los Angeles years ago. And I don't know how he did this, but he actually preached the sermon at his wife's funeral. And in that sermon, he tells the story. He says his wife was raised in a very, very wealthy home. She was raised and had everything at her fingertips, financially never had a need. And then he says she married a preacher. And he describes one day when he came home from work and he said there were candles lit everywhere in the house. There were candles lit in the kitchen. There were candles lit in the bathroom. There were candles lit in the bedroom. And he thought, wow, this is gonna be a good night. And then he went into the bathroom to wash his hands before dinner and he flipped the light switch on and the light didn't come on. So he walks out to the den and he says to his wife, he says, honey, do we not have power? And she started to cry. And she said, oh, sweetheart, you work so hard for our family. You are so dedicated to our family but we don't have enough money. Couldn't pay the power bill. It's at that point as E.B. Hill is sharing this in the sermon that he begins to just weep. And he says, she could have ruined me at that point. She could have said, I grew up with men who provided for me. I grew up with men who never left me in the dark or cold without power said she could have ruined me. She could have embarrassed me. She could have demoralized me. She could have crushed my spirit. 
And instead, she said, sweetheart, let's eat by candlelight. Peter says, wives, wives, respect your husbands. Build them up. Don't tear them down. That's how you bear witness to Christ. In a marriage, and certainly in a marriage where there's a, an unbelieving spouse. So you bear witness to Christ by submitting out of strength, but also submitting out of trust, out of trust. Peter uses the example of Sarah in verse six as an example of what it means to trust. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What does it mean that Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord? Well, that word Lord, is a, it's, a, it's a term that, that refers to a, a politeness. It's, a, it's another way of saying Mr. or Sir. It's, it just simply speaks of the respect with which Sarah spoke of her husband, Abraham. Now, there's no explicit references in Genesis of Sarah obeying Abraham. There's implicit references. One is Genesis 12. When Abraham, who at the time was not obeying God's word, there were plenty of instances of that in Abraham's life. But in Genesis 12, when he invites Sarah into this deception in Pharaoh's court, and Sarah cooperates, where he asks Sarah, in, in, in Pharaoh's presence, would you tell him that you're my sister and not my wife? Sarah submitted. She moved forward in that. And what we see is that she was not ultimately submitting to Abraham, though she was doing that, but ultimately she was submitting to God. She understood that her story was wrapped up in Abraham's story and that God was sovereign, and that she could trust God. You don't see Sarah jumping ship, walking away, leaving. And so these wives that are raising the question, should I stay in this marriage? Peter says, yes. Yes, stay in the marriage, stay in the relationship. Bear witness to Christ. Submit out of your strength and submit ultimately out of trust of God. Yes, the situation can be frightening. And Peter acknowledges that. Don't fear what's frightening. It can be a really difficult relationship, and there can be some fear. Now, let me just say here, I'm gonna address it later in verse seven, but the submission that Peter talks about here, he is not calling for a wife to submit to physical abuse or to domestic violence. He's not calling for that, and we'll see in verse seven that he's not calling for that. But he's speaking here of just the, the fear that can arise in a difficult relationship where things aren't going the way you would iron them out and things are just not clean and it's messy. And Peter says, I acknowledge it can be frightening, but don't fear the situation. And ultimately, don't fear your husband or your spouse, but fear God, trust God, worship God, trust that he's sovereign, trust that your story is in his hands. And then he's using this Difficult situation. 
Peter's talking here about marriage, but let me broaden it out. He's talking about a marriage situation where the wife has less power or is under authority. Let me broaden it out to other relationships where, there, where you could be in less power or under authority. Children and parents. Children, how do you bear witness to your parents when you've come to Christ and your parents haven't? Or employee boss. Employee comes to Christ, boss does not, boss isn't in Christ. How do you bear witness to Christ in that situation? And, and the answer is that you bear witness through your conduct by not embarrassing your parents or embarrassing your boss or embarrassing your husband. Or you, you respect, you bear witness by respecting that person who's in authority over you. Respecting them, building them up, winning them over by your conduct. That's how you bear witness to Christ. Your seemingly impossible situation is an incredible opportunity to bear witness to Christ. The situation that you say is impossible and you can bear it no longer, God's saying, no, this is an incredible opportunity for you to bear witness to Christ. So that's what it looks like when you're in relationships where you have less power but how do you bear witness in relationships where you have more power? You're in a place of authority. It's where we pick up in verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the word here for understanding is knowledge. It means live with your wife knowing her, deeply understanding her situation knowing the delicacy of her feelings, knowing exactly what she's going through. Now, if you, if you take this and apply it to the cultural context where wives were expected to worship their husband's God or gods, and you see here that Peter is possibly uh, describing the opposite scenario, where a husband comes to Christ and the wife does not. And you can imagine in that scenario where the wife now feels incredible pressure to bow the knee to Christ, to worship Christ. The husband's come to Christ and now cultural expectations say, you now need to worship Christ. To these husbands, he's saying, understand that situation your wife finds you in. Understand the situation. Don't use your power to manipulate or to control or to pressure her into worshiping Christ. Understand the delicate situation that she's in. Don't use your authority to, or your leadership to crush her, to control her, to abuse her. And this is where Peter certainly implicitly picks up on the whole argument from verses one to six of, is this mean that someone has to bear up under physical abuse or domestic violence? And verse seven says, absolutely not. Because Peter is prohibiting here a husband abusing his power. Prohibiting that. He's saying, no, husbands, understand the delicate situation that your wife is in. Know her. Study her. Be aware of her heart. Put yourself in her shoes. Now again, we can broaden this out. 
Peter's addressing marriage, but he's addressing a relationship situation where one person, is in, one person is in a place of greater authority or power. So you can apply this to parents and children. Right? Parents, you are in a place of authority over your children. And you're called to speak the gospel to your children with your words. You're called to model it in your conduct, but you let the Holy Spirit do the work on your child's heart. Don't control or manipulate your children into a relationship with Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is just to bear witness and understand the relationship dynamic. This also can be applied to bosses and employees or a coach and a player or even a teacher and a student. Right As a boss or as a coach, don't abuse your authority, even in a spiritual way to manipulate or control or pressure an employee or a, or a player into a relationship with Christ. This gets really practical. Like you, you mandate a Bible study. Understand what that person in the situation that they're put into. Understand how awkward that can be. When you're in a place of authority, understand, know the person that you're relating to and know the situation that they're in. That's how you bear witness. Right? Control, abuse, manipulation never bears witness to Christ. Never bears witness to Christ. So you bear witness by understanding, knowing the other, but second, by honoring the other. Look at verse seven. Again, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, what does weaker vessel mean? Well, again, look at this context. We've already talked about it. Wives in that day were seen as inferior. So they were weaker in the sense of social entitlement, and empowerment. I think Peter's also talking here about just physical strength compared or relative to a man's strength, which would also speak into Peter asking, commanding, calling husbands to be very gentle with their strength. He's saying, show honor to your wife. Treat her with value. Hold her as precious. Why? because she is co-heir with you of the grace of life. That grace of life means eternal life, and he's saying, listen, the grace you've received from Jesus, the honor you've received from Jesus is the same honor and grace that she has received. And that phrase there, since they are heirs, it can also be read as even co-heirs, which, which is what gives room for this being a situation where it's an unbelieving wife. And if that's the case, he's saying, treat her as even if she's a sister in Christ. Treat her with that kind of honor, equal dignity. It's the same treatment Jesus has shown you. Now, what is that treatment that Jesus has shown you? I think it's beautifully pictured in Isaiah 42. Speaking of the coming Messiah, speaking of Christ, when it says a bruised reed, a bruised reed, get that imagery in your mind. He the Messiah, Christ, will not break. 
and a faintly burning wick. Think of a wick, flame, just barely hanging on. He will not quench. You ever tried to light a candle outside when it's windy? You know what that's like. You, you light the candle, if you get it lit, you, you put your body between the wind and the candle so your body absorbs the brunt of the wind. Or you take your hands and you, you cup your hands around that little flame so that your hands absorb the brunt of the wind instead of that flame. You ever been camping, backpacking? I have, where you have one or two matches. And you get that flame lit, that flame becomes incredibly precious. That means your heat, that means your food, and you, you treat that little flame like it is incredibly precious. You protect it from the wind. That's the imagery that Peter's describing here with honor. Husbands, treat your wives with that kind of honor. Hold your wives as that precious and that valuable because that's the grace that Jesus has shown you. And to use that imagery, Jesus, covered you and absorbed the wrath of God on your, for your sin in your place. The grace he's shown you, and it's the grace he calls you to show others. That's how you bear witness to Christ. And of course, this goes beyond just marriage to any other broader relationship where you're in a position of power or authority over someone. So bosses, Treat your employees with this kind of honor. Coaches, treat your players with this kind of honor. Teachers, treat your students with this kind of care, this kind of honor, and without a word, by doing so, you bear witness to Jesus Christ. You bear witness to Jesus Christ. There was a man who had no spiritual interest relatively at all. He lived next to a man who was a Christian, his next door neighbor, and they had a relationship that was the you know, conversation over the wooden fence here and there, borrow a lawnmower back and forth, you know, that kind of neighborly relationship, and then the the non-believer's wife was stricken with cancer. And three months later, she died. And this man wrote this, part of a letter that he wrote shortly after his wife passed away. He said this, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. My neighbor, 
afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. When the sun finally came up over the river, he came over and said, let's go get some breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce the kind of caring and love my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. That is how you bear witness to Christ without a word in all your relationships. Let's pray. Father, we read this letter and realize that this letter is going into a young church where People are coming to Christ all over the place. And so there's wives that know Christ and husbands that don't and vice versa. And there's slaves that come to Christ who are serving masters who don't know Christ. And it's a beautiful mess. And yet that's where we live life. So we cherish these words that Show us and tell us with great wisdom how to bear witness to Christ in difficult relationships. Father, would you give us the strength and the power to show honor, to show respect, to not embarrass one another, to show love, and to show care that is so profound that the person that we're in a relationship with that doesn't know Christ would, would experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, you, you open the door when it's time for words. Pray that you would give us strength when that day comes to open our mouths, but Father, we're in a culture that is so skeptical right now the message of the gospel, would our lives be a sweet testimony to the grace of your son, Jesus Christ? And we pray this in his name, amen.